Hello, welcome to Colpix Radio, WCPX 66.6, on your pod dial, as always, with me, your host, Django Nudo. And me, the Smut Peddler. And together, hashtag, we, we are Colpix. Tremendously in unison for once, Very I wonder so. why. Mm. So, it's been a busy week for us, because we have had our favourite actress of all time, Favourite club superhero actress of all time, Christina Lindbergh here in London. And she's been with us at the screening at Everyman Cinemas of Anita. Anita, Swedish Nymphet, which we've had one and we're about to do a second one. Yeah, and it's recently been restored by the Swedish Film Institute. And we managed to put some English subtitles on it for the uh, theatrical screenings. Although I think, think, I think there was an issue in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. I did see a tweet okay. about it, but it was somebody who was trying to learn Swedish anyway. So mm, okay. they appreciated it. That's all. But, I mean, we had wonderful turnout of fans who came with not a stack of posters. I think it was a whole, you know... Warehouse you know, of posters. Warehouse yeah. of posters for yeah. her to sign. Basically. And she was incredibly patient and, you know, kind about it. And, you know, she wrote her name on posters of her films, which did not even feature her on yeah. it, by the looks of it. Yeah. And we saw some posters we had never seen before, which is, that that happens very rarely. Yep. And tonight we've got a midnight screening at the uh, Screen on the Green in London's Islington. So hopefully there'll be even more friends, fans, members turning out there. And anyway, Christina is super excited and she can't wait to be back hopefully next year if, if, big if, if we can get the rights to show Thriller, A Cruel Picture. Yeah. So that's been the excitement, and it's going to continue with a season of Calvin Floyd films at Bio Aspen in Stockholm. Yeah, there will be a double bill on the 22nd of November at Bio Aspen in Aspuden, Stockholm, Sweden, the universe, uh, of his two gothic horror-themed uh, films, uh, In Search of Dracula and Victor Frankenstein. So please come there if you live in the Stockholm area. Uh, We have the producer and cinematographer of both films, Tony Forsberg, 89 years old, who will introduce the films. And he has a very, very strong memory of those films. So we will get some very interesting anecdotes, I think. Should be fun. Yeah. Next up, speaking of fans, a big, big shout out to our secret super fan for the wonderful early Christmas and birthday presents. Um... Cult picks balls. How would you describe them? I would describe them as uh, Christmas ornaments. Christmas ornaments. Yeah. Yes. Big balls. Big balls. Yeah. <laughs> Cojones. Now, genuinely, it's, it, it was a lovely, very touching gift from one of our longtime members and fans. So. And amazing personalized coffee mugs as well. Yes. Coffee mugs and more. We yeah. won't have to run through the whole, you know list of of these treats but this is hugely appreciated so we do have some truly amazing members we were very surprised and and happily surprised and uh, when there was a knock on the door and a big box came to your door yes now speaking of christmas and lost on our to-do list before we get on to the films and we do have many because we were absent for one week in which time we discovered that we have not only done 25 podcasts but we've had over 2000 downloads so Thank you to all the members and listeners and everybody else. Yeah, thank you. So we've got a special Christmas treat in December, which is we're going to do a bad films calendar. So every day for 24 days, we're going to be posting a new film 
not new, of course, old, we only do old, um, on a different theme. And it's going to be a little of a mixed goodie bag of um, the th you're going to get horrors, you're going to get sexy stuff, you're going to get something fun every day for 24 days straight. Normally, we only post, we tend to only do Monday through Friday, don't we? Yeah, so maybe four or five films per week. Yeah, but this time it'll be literally one film for every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all four weeks in the run-up to yeah. Christmas. So you, you will be able to open your little advent calendar every day and have a peek. <laughs> your virtual one on yeah. your computer or and tablet. You, so you won't be able to eat all the chocolate at one day in one day? No, or in advance. Not exactly. As we did when we were kids. Yeah. So... So that sums up all the fun we have had and will be having in the past month and the coming month here on Cult Picks. So we have some, I mean, we, do we always say this? Very exciting films. These are special films and one in particular, which we're going to start off with, but we should give a shout out to our friends and partners at Echelon Studios. Yeah, we have three of their films in a new partnership coming up this week. And the first one we've had our eyes on very, very long time because, you know, what's what's the unique selling point, Smart Peddler? I would say that the unique selling point is that every Scandinavian country has one uh, horror or sci-fi film and nothing more. So That's in Sweden, true. we have Terror in the Midnight Terror Sun. Midnight Sun. In Finland, they have The White Reindeer. And in Denmark... Reptilicus. Which could be described as the only... Scandinavian kaiju film ever. I think the only European kaiju film, thinking about it. I mean, is there another, is there a German big no. monster film? No, I mean, you have, of course, Konga in, in the UK, but that was a big gorilla, yeah. female gorilla, but it's no. another thing. It's got to be a big lizard. Yep. Big yep. lizard or, or prehistoric monster. Yep. So we've had North Korean, we've had Pulgasari, we've obviously got um, Japanese ones, but... Yeah, no, let's call it Europe's only kaiju yeah. until somebody calls us up and tells us we're wrong. It, it's it's amazing, really. And the funny thing is that I think it's they, they, they find this um, part of an ancient uh, monster in a, in a mine, I think. And it's almost the same story as the girl in the glacier in the 13 Demon Street yes. TV series where they excavate uh, uh, this, uh, I think it's a mine too, and they find this girl completely in, 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 encased in ice. Yep. It's, it's a very scandy way of you know, plot device. That's, that's how we do it, yes. <laughs> so Reptilicus from 1961 is a Danish-American uh, giant monster film, we should say. So yes, about what happens when scientists mess with nature and stick little tail ends of lizards into um, a vat. A vat where they regenerate. Yeah, As from the tail. Usually, of... I think it's the tail that regrows on lizards, not the <laughs> yeah. lizard that regrows from <laughs> exactly. tails. That's what I learned in biology. Yes, but you yes. know, hey, yeah. who am I to argue with celluloid science? So you're saying this is a kind of an unreal film. Uh, wouldn't dream of calling it no, that. No, no, it's good. it's that's it's good. a dream film in terms of the cast, yeah, in terms of location, because you know where else are you going to get Dirk Passer or dear Dirk Passer, who we have in many films yeah. on uh, cold picks, um, speaking in English, monster spoiler alert here rampaging in downtown Copenhagen, yeah. just like the Tokyo monsters. Yes, except slightly smaller buildings, mm. but. Yeah, you know, there's Tivoli. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's got songs, which we'll get to. Yep. 
And um, not only is there one, but there are two Reptilicus. There's two films, yes, indeed. Not two lizards. So there was a Danish version and an American version. Now, you were skeptical about this. You thought the American version was a redubbed version of the Danish one. You have since been set straight, haven't you? Yes, and I think I am. I am. I'm. I'm. A, I'm a big person admitting my 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 wrongdoings. <laughs> uh, it it was shot back to back with the Danish one, so uh, it's not that the Danish actors are dubbed; they all speak English, um, just like the Swedish actors speak English in *Terror in the Midnight Sun*. It's quite yeah. extraordinary. And they had to swap out a Danish actress who wasn't confident enough about her English, and they replaced her with another one. So yeah. it's not identical film, but it didn't end there. Then they had a re-edit of it as well, because the American version, uh, who had a different director, uh, Sidney Pink, Sidney W. Pink. Yeah. Um, just what it, they thought it was unreleasable, American International Pictures. So they handed it to the screenwriter, uh, Ib Melchior, to re-edit it and redo it. I didn't fully appreciate Ib Melchior just what an important character he was in terms of his achievements. So not only did he do amazing things in the Second World War, I'm not going to go over all of that, um, but as a writer and director, he did films like The Angry Red Planet, Time Travelers, um, the famous Robinson Crusoe on Mars and Journey to the Seventh Planet. Um, but then he was also involved in, in other stuff, which is even more famous, like his short story was adapted into Death Race 2000. Um, and and I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome, I would say. Yeah. And he claims that Irvin Allen stole his original idea for what became Lost in Space, the TV series. Mm. So, you know, he clearly... Well, probably people in the know know him better than we do, but impressive stuff anyway. Yeah. So he had saved this, and the version that you have on Colpix today is the American edit of the film. It's not the Danish one. We hope to get the Danish one one day. Yeah. For comparison, that's supposed to be fifteen minutes longer. Mm. But then again, I saw a reviewer saying that uh, probably Ib Melchior's work uh, re-editing and shortening the film made it much better. Yeah. Well. One day you can judge for yourself. So, shall we listen to a clip of uh, Reptilicus? Yes. It seems to be totally unlike any other known dinosaur. The huge bony scales along his back are incredibly thick. The legs are hardly formed as yet. There is a slimy secretion from glands in his maw. It has a burning corrosive effect like strong acid dr dalby has recommended that the flow of nutrients be increased we will try it however if reptilicus grows much bigger we will have to build a new tank so before we leave the giant lizard behind again a a mention of the fact of just how much of a cult film this is in denmark i was speaking to a danish cinema colleague who says yeah he'd, he'd watched it numerous times in the cinema and gave me all sorts of great insights like one of the finale scenes on the bridge not going to spoil it for you they actually hired uh, a Copenhagen swimming team as extras and when the time came to shoot this pivotal sequence um, they forgot to switch on most of the cameras so there was just one camera running for it but fortunately it was a very good one so you know when you see it in the film you'll understand why that's great. And I mean, that's opposed to what happened with um, Andrei Tarkovsky's uh, Sacrificio, where they burned oh. down a whole building uh, and the camera jammed 
Oh. That became a very expensive film. Yes, take two. Yeah, exactly. They had to rebuild the whole film. Mm. Building, I mean, yeah. So from Denmark, we go down under, matey. Yeah, put another shrimp on the body. Every Australian's prejudice and stereotype <laughs> is on display here because we wallow in originality here on Cold Picks yep. Radio. Yep. We're talking about BMX Bandits from 1983, which was, correct me unless I'm wrong, the acting debut of one Nicole Kidman. True, and she was 16 years old. And so it was a fun little caper about kids driving on BMX bikes um, and um, come across some bank robbers and a cache of walkie-talkies, get into a lot of trouble requiring them to cycle all over Sydney um, and was very, very popular. Yeah. And we get a lot of people uh, asking us about 80s nostalgia and I think here they get everything they, they need for that. Oh, yeah. And also, I think that the storyline is kind of. There were some films like that, kind of reminds me of, of the, the Goonies as well. You know, kids discovering some crooks doing something bad. and Yeah, I read an interview with the director, and he said it was um, a balance act of, you know, because effectively they had to have a um, situation where these kids come across some pretty nasty types who want to kill them, which isn't actually that fun. No. Having children killed or trying to be killed. So the only way they could do it is obviously in the style of Ealing comedies. They just made the crooks so over the top and yeah. made so ridiculous. And then, like I said, like the Goonies, it doesn't become threatening. Mm. It and just becomes fun. And yeah. kids win the day. And this is where Stranger Things gets this thing from. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. That's true. And uh, it, it was it became a big BMX bike boom. P- kids started buying BMXs again after there was a slump. Mm. Uh, and then I read up on this that um, Red Bull, a Red Bull team, made a kind of a remake of it, but basically just doing the the BMX stunts all over again. That's the bit you want to watch for anyway. That and yeah. Nicole Kidman's very very big hairdo. Exactly. Shall we listen to a clip from the trailer? Yeah. BMX bandits. They're wild in the streets in a high-flying ride to adventure. It's thrills and spills, fast and furious fun. It's a real blast. Coming up next, uh, uh, I, I, I love this uh, sort of uh, explanation of it and, it, and it construes a completely new genre for me, and that's Sword and Planets. I mean, we all know of Sword and Sandal movies, but Sword and Planets, that's a very fitting uh, description of this film. It's the 1980 Gore, G O R, about a. Naughty professor, I almost have to say, who um, accidentally unlocks the magical properties of a ring which transports him to the planet Gore, mm-hmm. where obviously everyone is, is uh, carrying swords and riding horses and the women are scantily clad in these kind of skin bikinis. We mm-hmm. do love our films with women in fur bikinis, don't we? We do, or subset with skin bikinis. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm ashamed to admit that I not only read these, I collected them because they're sort of sub-Edgar Rice Burroughs um, adventures, only with more 
sex. Yeah, so it was a series of novels. It was. Wow. And not only was there this one, but despite the critical backlash, they managed to squeeze out a sequel to it, Outlaw of Gore. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of series of books... It's the kind of thing that now Amazon and Netflix would fight over the rights to remake because they're desperate to get hold of anything Lords of the Ringsy. If it wasn't for the blatantly misogynist female stereotypes of female of women really just wanting to wanting to be slaves to men, hmm. and hey, you know we love our hideous stuff, but this this stuff really is out there. So I yeah. do not see this ever coming back. So. Catch it on cold picks because this is the only time, only place I think you're going to see it. Yeah, but it kind of reminds me about Xena, Warrior Princess. It's yeah, that, that kind of vibe to it as well. It's got it, and it's not lacking in um, acting talent. In fact, it's got it in spades with, you know, some very high profile, very qualified actor. We've got Oliver Reed as, you know, the evil Sarn, Sarm dictator. Um, and we've got Arnold Vosloh from The Mummy, where he plays The Mummy. And finally, none other than Voldemir Ivanovich Paluknyuk. You, all, you all know who that is. Yes. But we can, give you, uh, we can give you a little hint. He was in a load of westerns and he also played Dracula in Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1974, which was a kind of a sexy dracula film and he won an oscar yes and he he could do push-ups with one arm he did yep. on stage it is jack palance of course yep. as xenos now if that isn't enough to convince you although i should say that i think oliver reed is on it for all of like two minutes yes but he wears some pretty um pretty out there outfits so it's well worth watching him yeah anyway it's outlandish plot um swords and planets Pretty much says it all. Yep. Shall we listen to Oliver Reed for his brief appearance in the film? You have won a great victory. You have the homes. Who killed my son? The man who killed him escaped, Excellency. Then he must be found. And until he is. So, from the planet of Gore to uh, uh, interstellar planetary traveler, the astounding She-Monster, which had a much more catchy title to begin with, um, which was The Naked Invader. Yeah, why did they not use that? Uh, it was also The Astounding She-Creature. They thought the censors might not like that. So they changed it to the, the Astounding She-Monster, which is still a good title. Yeah, and in the UK it was The Mysterious Invader. Which is very dull. Yeah. But, um, and she wasn't naked, but pretty close, as close as you can get to in the late 1950s. So yeah. low budget American International Pictures film, which was originally a double feature with another Culpix film, Roger Corman's The Saga of the Viking Women and the Voyage to the Waters of the Great Sea Serpent, to give it its full title. Yeah, or The Viking Women Viking Women and the Sea Serpent. You said Viking Women. Viking Women in Sweden. So, science fiction gangster film um, about uh, thugs who kidnap a socialite, take her to a remote mountain cabin together with a gangster mole, 
Um, and what they didn't count on is the incredible coincidence of a meteorite crashing nearby, containing an alien who can kill by touch, and wears a figure hugging leotard as aliens are prone to, except not one of those big grey bulbous headed one, but the very, very attractive uh, Shirley Kilpatrick. And um, there is a good story about her costume, which we have to share, if nothing else, about this film. Yeah, because it was a low-budget film and they had to shoot it in four days? They were supposed to be seven days, they cut it in half. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they didn't have any spare parts, so to speak. And they were out in the woods in a cabin. And uh, on the first day of filming, her costume, very skin-tight leotard, split in the back. It really was that tight. <laughs> yeah, when she bent over. And they could not, you know, they didn't have any seamstress coming along for the shoot. So during the next rest of the film, every time she has to leave a scene, she has to back out of it facing the camera. Yeah. And, you know, because I, I think they had all of people at four for crew. So obviously they couldn't get the gaffer board to also, you know, staple her together. But it makes it even much more fun and interesting with seeing her walk backwards it adds to the weird otherworldliness of yeah. this and do we have to underline the fact that ed wood jr uh was an unofficial consultant on the film yes i love the fact because it definitely has a bit of ed woodian quality to it and i just want to know what was it about his consulting that made it the film that it is that gave it this ed woodish feeling yeah, but I think the director had worked with him before on, on uh, a couple of his films, so they knew each other. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's definitely a fun film. Um, Kilpatrick looks stunning in it, but by far uh, the best thing about it is the film poster. Um, it's I think it was voted as one of the 35 um, visually arresting posters for B-movie films at a special exhibition at Binghamton University. And uh, I wish I could get my hands on one of them. But we've put out a picture of the poster with the original photo that it's based on, which is very, very naked. We've had to censor nipples mm. here. Um, but it is a beautiful piece of art. And the film is good fun. So not just worth it for the poster, worth it for the film. Even though, what was it we're reading here? The monthly film bulletin gave it a very low rating, the lowest possible and, quote, and called it, quote, feeble and ridiculous contribution to the science fiction library, weakly scripted and poorly acted. If that's not Edward's fingerprints all over, I don't know what is. And I need to see it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it needs to be seen. So let's play the trailer because the trailer distills the essence of this film beautifully. Here is Astounding She-Monster. This hand points the way to an experience human eyes have never before seen. Earlier this evening, I saw what looked like a small meteor drop into the desert not far from here. You mean it could have been a spaceship? Robert Clark is the scientist caught between vicious gangsters and the astounding she-monster. Here is a power that frightens the deer in the forest, terrifies fearless dogs, a woman so intriguing that her face and figure fascinate every man. The woman whose warmth consumes. But the astounding she-monster is no more to be feared than beasts of our own underworld. 
those were all of last week's films that we didn't cover. And this week we've got a different theme, which is Japan's Starman. Nothing to do with David Bowie. Or as he was known in Japan, Asopa Gianto! We're definitely putting a little on all these things. But yeah, Super Giant, Super Gianto, um, which... From what I understand, it came from the fact that they were trying to compete or have a local version of Superman, because there's nothing gigantic about it. You know, he stands next to humans. Hmm. He is regular height, Japanese height. And he's also a regular guy. He doesn't have superpowers. No, he's got some interesting abilities. Well, he can obviously fly through space. That's very Superman-ish. He can detect radiation. That's very Japanese. You know, human Geiger counter. Comes in handy if you're in Hiroshima. And um, he does that thing which, sadly, all too few of our friends from Japan do, which is speak and understand any language. Yeah, it's like the Babel fish, but way before uh, those novels. Mm. But he was Japan's first celluloid superhero. And that's quite an achievement, isn't it? So coming in the late 50s, I think there were manga comics with superheroes before that, but on screen... It was super giant. Yeah, and these were a kind of Japanese serials, so they were not feature films. They were uh, short films, um, screened probably once a week, uh, just like the serials in in the West. Mm. And in the US, um, they bought the rights to them and edited them together as four feature-length films. Yes, all four of which you can watch on Cold Picks, and we're not going to review and discuss each one of them in detail. It's it's more sort of worth talking around them but we should give a mention to the lead super giant himself which was the um respected film and television actor ken utsui um who became famous for this role as super giant kind of like it was kind of like playing astro boy or uh doraemon but of course he wasn't very keen on being associated with this role for the rest of his life it's kind of like a bit of a bond curse isn't it yeah, I was kind of typecast and had a hard time getting out of it. But also, he was not very happy with his costume. No, because of the because of the stuffing, which not just his muscles, but we're back to the balls. Yes, he had had to put a lot of cotton in the crotch area to make the bulge bigger. So, what what was the thinking behind this? I think that uh, the producers thought that Japanese women would, would feel he would be a more attractive superhero with, with, with something in his pants. So gore, women, leather bikinis, Japanese superheroes with stuffed underpants. Yep. Stuffed shorts. Appealing to all segments of the audience here. Yeah, something for everybody. That we cater for everyone. We yeah. do, really. Um, but... Whether he liked the stuffed shorts or not, he did make an impression. And, you know, kids growing up on this and grown-ups who discovered it subsequently, you know, forever remember him as the first kind of Japanese superhero. Although, of course, he is from the planet Emerald, much like Doctor Who is from not Earth or somewhere. And um, Superman from Krypton and yada, yada, yada. So the first one, um, well, let's not do them all together. But like I said... Edited together um, into four film, and we should enjoy this by playing a clip from Evil Brain from Outer Space. In fact, let's listen to the trailer. On the planet Seymour, far within the Mufine galaxy, a decontrolled robot assassinated the omnipotent Balasar, who is known to possess the most brilliant mind in the universe. So powerful was Balasar's genius that as he lay dying, 
his brain ordered built, a mechanism which would keep it alive even though his body was destroyed. And now Balazar's brain seeks universal conquest. But here on the Emerald Planet, the highest council in the Marpet Galaxy considers the terrible immediate menace to the solar system of Earth and to the planet Earth itself. Balazar's brain leads the infiltration of Earth, preparing it for the attack forces which will follow. And that attack will be with nuclear weapons. The flood of radioactivity, which inevitably will spill out into space, is what primarily concerns these emerald planet creatures. High radioactivity, the emerald creatures realize, will poison even the distant reaches of outer space. It just occurred to me that we should have a subgenre or label for TV shows that were edited together into a film. That's because, true. We have course, a few examples, yeah. Yes. We have 13 Demon Street, yeah. which became... Uh, something a, something evil I'm, no? a, I'm a blank i'm blank i'm a blank i don't remember <laughs> no but, um uh, but on the other hand the interesting thing with this is that the uh, the short films were quite long they were you know somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour and when they got four of them together and edit them into a 78 minute movie and they they had actually had different plots in each episode yes um one one critic has called it um, the result, an alternately mind-blowing and mind-numbing adventure, a non-ending cavalcade of characters, chases, captures, rescues, and fight scenes. Yes. So just hold on to your seats. Yeah. And it. I also read somewhere else, I wish I could have claimed this myself, but it really feels like a mix between the kind of George Reeves television Superman series and the Doctor Who, especially the kind of early Doctor Who before it became, yeah. you know, up to recent and cool and well, coolish. Um, so yeah, but um, they were all influencing each other at the time. So you know, no real surprise there. So shall we move on and still still in Japan? And we uh, are now sort of segueing. We do, but before we do that, we should just say a warning. And this is it, which is they were kind of made in a sequence. Not that you need to watch one to understand the other ones or enjoy the other ones. But if you are watching them, don't start with Invaders from Space. It is the best one of the four. And if you watch it first, you might get a little bit disappointed by the other ones, even with a lengthy disclaimer from you, smart peddler. So save Invaders from Space Lost. It actually has some pretty groovy, you know, um, special effects in terms of the costumes, the salamander men, the sort of uh, beams and so on. Um, it's a fun one. So treat yourself to that one last, or at least don't watch it first. And that's it for the four super giant films but we have like i said one more japanese treat for you yes and it also has a, a connection with reptilicus actually so let's uh, listen to the trailer first of all attention all spaceship crew members our radar screen has picked up the target we've been looking for prepare the ship for an immediate attack So we started with Kaju and we end with Kaju. Yeah. So this is a film with many names. Yes. One of them being Destroy All Planets, 
One being Gamera versus Outer Space Monster Virus. Get all the names in there in the title, in yeah. case that's what appeals to people. From 1968. And um, classical kind of kaiju um, plot. Uh, it's a flying uh, giant turtle monster, which is Gamera. And, of course, has to do battle with another giant monster, in this case, uh, Viras. Um, but uh, the aliens uh, trap Gamera, which is, who's the Godzilla good monster, and it's up to um, some group of plucky Boy Scouts that have to defeat these evil squid-like monsters' plans for capturing Gamera. And this is, again, a, a callback to earlier. It's like, you darn meddling kids, you know, getting in the way. Yes, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Be, not riding BMX bikes because yeah. they didn't have that. And a British film critic actually called it a straightforward children's film. But, you know, don't be afraid. Watch it anyway. Yeah. Now, it wasn't one of those high-profile um, Godzilla-like films. We don't do high-profile or big budget, do we? No, not much. One day you'll have to tell me what the biggest budget film that we have on our <laughs> site. We'll have to look that up. That'll, That's good. That'll be a real... I, we yeah. can easily find the cheapest one. But it was done by um, the division of Toho that didn't use unions, um, called Toho something. And so they um, was originally supposed to have um, a budget, which was um, got cut. And so what they ended up doing was recycling um, other Gamera films footage into this movie, which again, great old trick, you know, whether you do a sex education or yeah. you do Kaju Monster thing. And I think it's very modern, isn't it? Well, it's called sampling. Yeah, but just reusing things so you don't mess with Mother Nature. You, you know, oh, of yeah. course, yeah. Sustainability. Yeah. Sustainability. Right, that's right. That's, that's what it's it. all about. Yeah. 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 Well, um, a children's film, but a fun one nevertheless. And if you're a Kaju fan, I think we're starting to build up a bit of a Kaju collection. I've always said we'd need to have more of those. Yes, but, absolutely. But we do have one since earlier. Obviously, we have Polgasari. Now we have Reptilicus. Yeah. And this one, so we might recycle things in the future and just do a theme week of kaju films. Definitely, and we are in very advanced discussions about a very unique kaiju film from another company. So mm, no more. Hints. Won't say more about that. No. So that concludes the very brief, but nonetheless two-week double bill of films from our friends at Echelon and from our friends in Japan. So having started with Reptilicus. Let's end again with Drupatilicus. What is it that we're going to hear? We are listening to a nightclub singer in um, Copenhagen's Tivoli, where they have these lovely shows, apart from being an amusement park. And the song is Dancing in Tivoli. And before we finish, there's again a kind of echo of Terror in the Midnight Sun, because again, there's a kind of a midnight club scene where, you know, they do Weimarland du Schöne. Yes. But here, so True. it's... There are similarities. Lots of echoes. That is all for us this week on Culpix Radio WCPX. With me, your host, Django Nudo. And me, the Smut Peddler. Now singing you out a clip from Reptilicus. Tivoli night, oh what a sight. All Copenhagen is dancing, left and light, come hold me tight. This is a place for romancing, down by the lake love streams were sung, like they were doing when grandma was young. Tivoli night, Tivoli light, life is 
Dancing in tea. 